This morning we continue our series in the book of James. Uh, we're reading this morning in James chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 1. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in a good place, which in our church is the back, but <laughs> sit here, I didn't say that out loud, sit here in a good place. And while you say to the poor man, you, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Are they not the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you have been called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point, he has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. For if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, then you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged about the law, under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word and our study of it in a few moments. These days, I think most schools wear school uniforms. Back when I went to school, my school wore school uniforms, but it was kind of more of a rarity uh, where I grew up that ours was one of the only schools uh, that wore school uniforms. And so uh, the wearing of school uniforms was just kind of, you had to wear it every single day. But about two or three times a year, there was a free dress day. One of them was picture day. Because, you know, the yearbook would have been really boring if everybody wore the, the, the same uniform. So for, for picture day, you, you, you got to wear whatever you want. And every once in a while, you, you'd have a field trip or something like that. I don't know why on field trips we didn't wear uniforms. I guess they didn't want us to be embarrassed or whatever it was. But on, 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 on field trip days, we didn't wear school uniforms. And so it would be a very exciting time when it was one of those handful of days when we weren't wearing school uniforms. And I remember walking to school on those days. I'm like, man, it's nice not to have to wear school uniforms and stuff like that. And, and it was about a, a five or six minute walk to to school, which is just enough time to go from, man, I'm so excited about not wearing school uniform to, I wonder if I'm wearing the right thing. Uh, I wonder if this is going to fit in with other people are going to wear. I wonder if people are going to make fun of what I'm wearing. And, and then just as I was getting to the school, the thought would hit me, what if I've got the wrong day? What if this isn't the day we're supposed to wear free dresses? So from leaving the house, like, oh, this is going to be great, to the time I got to school, I was about as stressed out as I could possibly be. And because I was walking to school, uh, I was kind of stuck. If you were carpooling, you could pull through, see that, oh, we got the wrong day, turn around and go back home. But I had walked on the campus. I was stuck with where it is. Maybe you understand that. Maybe you've got that same experience in school. Or, or, or maybe you get dressed for a wedding. 
say, oh, this is what I'm going to wear to the wedding. Oh, this is going to be nice. Like, oh, wait, what if it's not the right thing? Or you go to a party, and you're like, oh, I want to make sure that I wear something that is appropriate, that everyone else is wearing, and we get self-conscious about that kind of thing. Sometimes that can happen at church, too, can't it? You come to church, and you, you want to know, particularly if you're visiting a church, or if you're new to that church, you're kind of like, well, what, what do people wear in, in that church? When we visited churches, sometimes Susan will go online, and she'll try to watch a YouTube service. And what, what are the people wearing uh, at that church? Uh, I'm glad that our church doesn't have a strict dress code for what we wear to church. In fact, sometimes at our church, the pastor even wears jeans uh, on, on Sunday mornings. Now, I, I will tell you that there is a reason why I wear jeans sometimes. The reason for that is really coming out of this passage of Scripture. Because I want to make sure that a dress code or what you wear to church is never a reason why somebody feels uncomfortable or unwelcome in church. To be honest with you, a stack of suits is a whole lot easier to figure out what to wear on, on Sundays and what to wear. It's all, and I don't mind wearing a suit. But it's intentional that I dress down on Sunday mornings on the platform so that someone who walks in here understands there is not a dress code that if you don't dress up to this level, then you don't belong and you don't fit inside of this church or any church. And this passage of Scripture is spending some time talking about what you wear to church and how you respond to what you wear to church. It talks about the person who comes in with a, the fancy jewelry. It comes in with a person with the fine clothes. And it talks about the person who comes in without any fancy jewelry. And it talks about the person who, who comes in without the fine clothes. In fact, I, I think it, it says it, it shabby clothes that come in. But I want you to know that this passage of Scripture really runs a lot deeper than about what the dress code for church is. This passage of Scripture runs to the heart of a church. You see, what has happened in the last couple of verses here is as we took a look in James chapter 1, it was taking a look and evaluating the life of the believer and saying, here's some checklists, here's some things that you need to check and see whether you are a doer of the word or whether you're just a hearer of the word. And this distinction said, in fact, if you're just a hearer of the word and you're not a doer, it says your religion is worthless. And it's been talking about the individual. And it says to you as a person, as a believer in Christ, here are some things that you need to check on. But now as we shift to James chapter 2, now it's starting to talk about the congregation. And it starts to talk about what kind of church is this. And really the thing that kind of goes through my mind is what happens when a group of believers gathers. Is the gathering of believers a strengthening and good thing? If you have one believer, okay, that's good. But if you gather 10 believers, if you gather 100 believers, if you gather 1,000 believers, are things better because the believers have gathered together. Now, the answer to that should be, well, yeah. But is it always? I would say that at least on occasion, according to the New Testament, according to the Word of God, at least on occasion, there have been some times when the church has gathered, the believers have gathered together. And there were some behaviors and there were some patterns in the life of the church that the gathering of the believers did some degree of harm instead of 
some degree of health. And so this passage of Scripture is going to help us think about what does a healthy church look like. Now, I spent some time trying to think about what the right word here, right, the Scripture for, for church was, a healthy church, a godly church, a right church, a strong church, a, a vibrant church. And, and I, I, obviously, I, I landed on healthy because I, I think we talk about joyfully pursuing the patterns, priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. We want you to do that as a believer, and we want the gathering of the believers together in the life of the church to be a body, a congregation, a church that pursues, joyfully pursues the patterns, the priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. And I think what we're going to see in this passage is we're going to see what some of those patterns, some of those priorities, and some of the purpose of Jesus look like. And so we have the opportunity to think in terms of what does a healthy church look like? Well, one of the things I want you to see here is that a healthy church draws or attracts all kinds of people. A healthy church draws or attracts all kinds of people. Before we run into the problem, and, and you heard the problem in the reading of the text, you, you, you heard that, you noticed what that problem is. But before we run into the problem, I want you to notice something that is good in this place. That is that this church is drawing people from all different parts of life, walks of life, parts of town, experiences, and social economic status. You see, the, 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 you see in, in this church, they, the rich and the poor were coming into the church together. Now that is what is right, and sometimes that is rare. This church was reaching the wealthy and the economically struggling. It was reaching the millionaires and the nothingaires. All of those folks were gathered into the life of that church. That's the way it's supposed to be. The reason for that is there were things that were drawing them into the life of that church. And chances are it wasn't the music. I know it wasn't the building because they were still meeting in people's houses. But people from all different walks of life were being drawn into that community of faith. That they were being drawn because of relationship. Somebody knew somebody in that church. And so because they knew somebody in that church, they were drawn and they were invited to come into that church. They were drawn by the clarity of the teaching of the Word of God. There, there was something that truth was being revealed in that place. And in a world just like ours, that people are wondering, okay, what is really true in this world? Where is north? Where are the things that are right? That church was teaching the clear word of God, and it drew people. People were drawn because they watched people's lives be transformed. People were one way, and then they met Jesus, and they were a different kind of person. And so rich or poor, they were like, man, something is going on in that congregation where they talk about Jesus and lives are being changed and I want to go and I want to find out. And so there's a degree of curiosity that develops in that place. And people are being drawn into that place. 
You see, the power of the gospel, the power of transformed lives, people's own spiritual hunger, people's own spiritual hurts and needs are pulling people into that congregation. Sometimes I worry, not just about our church, but churches across the fruited plain and around the world, of how much we all just look alike. And that we're drawing from just people that are like us. And when we do that, 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 that's, that that's a deeper issue. Because what that's saying is that these things that draw all kinds of people, transformed life, the clarity of the teaching of the Word of God, relationships being lived for Christ out there, people's spiritual hunger, there are things that are getting in the way that those people should be drawn into our body and into our congregation on a regular basis. And the church here in James, they were drawing it. They, they had the people that had it. They had the people who didn't have it. And they were all being drawn into the life of that church. The healthy church is drawing people, all kinds of people, from all different kinds of walks of life. And that's the kind of church that we desire to be. But we're also going to see in this passage that a healthy church rejects favoritism and prejudice. A healthy church rejects favoritism and prejudice. And this is the problem. This is the part of the passage of Scripture where, where an alarm bell goes off and James is challenging them and he says, listen, your personal faith, if you are a, if you are a hearer and not a doer, and if, and if this is not being lived out in practical ways where people can see it and feel it, and if you're not taking care of people who are vulnerable, says your religion is worthless. And now he says, and when you come together, if you treat diff people differently based on how they look or based on their resources, he says that you are doing evil in your hearts. He's not pulling any punches here. He says, you know what, it'd be better if you did it a different way. It's not quite right if you do that way. No, he calls it evil. He, he says it is a sin. He says if this is what you are doing, you are a transgressor because what was happening in the church that James is writing to is that the fancy and the wealthy and the privileged were getting better treatment than the poor and the struggling. Now that doesn't sound right. Uh, that doesn't sound right, obviously, because we, we shouldn't have favoritism. We shouldn't have prejudice. But it really is kind of rotten if the people who have been pampered all week because of their position, their power, and their privilege, they've been taken care of, and they, 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 they've had the, the first-class treatment all week long. And they come into church, and they continue to get the first-class treatment. Come sit here in, in, in our better seats and, and come sit here. Oh, we're going to oh, let me get you a bulletin. Oh, let me get you all the things that, that we, we need you to, to have and all the best things. Whereas the person who has been grinding, the person whose circumstances all week long have been hard, the world has been pushing against them all week long, they come in, the church on Sunday 
and church is just another place where they've got to grind and the world just continues to push against them. And it says, well, we've got a seat here. And really, if, if there isn't a seat left over, I mean, I guess you can, sit, you can sit here at my feet. In other words, I'm going to keep my seat, and you can sit at my feet. Man. Now, i got to tell you that that's not good. I've got to tell you that that is not hypothetical and isolated. It is what is the real circumstances happening to the churches that James is writing to. Real circumstances. He has either seen it firsthand or he's getting the reports that this is the behavior that's happening inside of the gathering of the believers of Jesus. But I don't believe it just stays in that one. Oh, man, those churches... The only time ever in history that there has been prejudice and favoritism in the life of a church was just the churches in James. In fact, we're going to gather enough people in church today that some of you probably at various times in your life have been on the wrong end of prejudice and favoritism. You, you, you know that this is a real experience that happens. And again, the Word of God tells us that when we do this, when we practice this, when this is the routine, big letters or small letters, when this is the routine in the life of the church, he says, you are judging with evil hearts. It is sin, and you are a transgressor of the entire law. When we show favoritism, now, last week we, we talked about some reflexes. Remember one of the things, that the mark of a believer is that, that our reflexes get reordered. And we talked about we, we listen more and we speak less. And those things that used to make us snap with anger, they're just reflexes. But the work of the Spirit in our life changes those reflexes. This is another one of those places where we have to change our reflexes. You see... I guess it comes from sin. I don't know. But we do have a natural draw to the people who look like us, who are similar, who are familiar, who we can relate to. But we do have an attraction to the people who seem to have it together. They are literally, we call them, attractive people. They have power, they have wealth, and there's just something, I guess it's from the brokenness of our lives, that just sees people that are familiar to us, similar to us, and we're drawn to those folks. We, we see people who are maybe outwardly seem to be better than us, and we're like, oh, maybe some of their glory, some of their put-togetherness will reflect on me if I go and stand next to them. And at the same time, we have a reflex sometime when people are different from us, have a different background. Sometimes we, there's just some distance there, and it's awkward or unfamiliar. And, and so that's just the reflex that, that we deal with. But God calls these things evil sin, and he says if we practice these things, that we are trans. Aggressors against that, against him and his law. 
Now, my experience in church, my experience in the world, is that favoritism and prejudice shows up at different gates in our lives. And what I mean by that is that sometimes a person can have favoritism and prejudice, that, that favoritism and prejudice that, that, that expands and fills up their whole life and their whole hearts. Uh, they should fix that. That, 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 that that's not good. But, but sometimes we, we have narrowed the outer gate. And we said, you know what? I don't mind sharing the world with people who look different than me or have different socioeconomic circumstances. I think they should be allowed to be in my stores and they should be allowed to be on the road. And so out there, maybe at work, I don't mind tipping my cap. That's good. We, we, we've narrowed. We've, we've narrowed prejudice and favoritism. That's good. And then we, we narrow it down and say, hey, it's okay for someone who's different than me whether it be social, economically, racially, or whatever it may be, it's okay for them to come to our church. I'm glad that they're here. That's good, and I'll tip my cap to them. But then the next gate that we have to kick open, that's leadership. Having influence in the life of our church. We say, it's okay for you to be in our church even though you're different and from a different circumstance and, and you're not quite a, you're, you're not a Instagram worthy in your appearance and, and all that kind of stuff, but you're, you're welcome in our church. But when we start thinking about who's going to be a leader in the life of our church, there, there's a reflex that looks right past those folks. And so we, we have to allow our heart to be transformed on our reflexes, changed on the outer edges, but all the way on the inside edges of our life, all the way to the central places uh, of uh, our life, not only the people out there, but the people in here, and then eventually the people up front. So what we need to do is we need to be intentional about this because that's how you change reflexes. Reflexes, remember, are the things that you do without thinking about. And if you're going to change those things, you have to be intentional in your thinking. And so, as we talked about two weeks ago from Romans chapter 1, we need to continue to say that every person that walks in the door of this church is loved by God. And every single person who walks into this church is called to be a transformed saint all the way so that they can live out all of their gifts in the life of a church. Loved by God, called to be a saint, and then welcome to sit next to me. Whether they are wearing the fancy fancy or the shabby shabby. To say, come, sit next to me. Oh, we don't have any seats left. Let me sit over here. Let me sit on the floor and let me make sure that you have my seat. I know that this is a good seat because my family's been sitting in this seat for, for 15 years. I've handpicked this seat. You have my seat. And I'll go find something that's rough and not quite as good. A healthy church has to acknowledge that sometimes favoritism and prejudice has existed. And a healthy church says, not here. Not here. We're the people of God. 
not here. We're not going to do this. We're going to follow the patterns, the priorities, and purpose of Jesus. So it's not going to be here. And then thirdly, a healthy church celebrates and gets excited about spiritual things. A healthy church celebrates and gets excited about spiritual things because you see, when we, when we practice, intentionally or unintentionally, when we practice prejudice and favoritism, it does harm in two different directions. It does external harm because a person who's been grinding and struggling and a person who's been facing an uphill world that's broken and messed up comes in and has to face that same kind of stuff in here. A person who is spiritually hungry is feeling unwelcome because of what they wore on a Sunday or because they got a different background or they went to a different school or they didn't go to school or whatever it may be. That, that, that person, their spiritual search for the things of God could be harmed because of that prejudice and favoritism in our lives. And so it is doing external harm. But it's also doing internal harm. Because sometimes we're chasing after the wrong things. We're trying to get the reflected glory of the fancy people. And that's not where the glory is. In fact, this passage of Scripture tells us, do you not remember that it was the poor that God has used over and over again to reveal His glory? He calls shepherds. He calls tax collectors. He calls people that are on the fringes and the left out. And the whole story of Scripture is the folks that other people are overlooking. God says, that's my person. And so when, when we look past some people because they don't carry themselves in a way that we're used to celebrating, we miss out on some of the wonderful things that God wants to do in their life, my life, and the life of our church. And in, in fact, the passage continues and says, don't you remember that it's the poor that God has used so often? And then he says, stop and take a time out. You're chasing after the wealthy. And they're the people who are making your life difficult. They're the ones, literally it says here, who are dragging you into the courts. They are the ones who are blaspheming the name of the one that you love. And yet, because there's this perceived attraction to the people who outwardly seem to have it all put together. You're chasing the people who are actually making your life more difficult and you're overlooking the people that God has sent into the life of our church that, that God has said, now these are the kinds of people that I like to work with. Now, quick note, in God's eyes, there is not, it is not wrong to be wealthy, Okay? Just, just, just hear me, me say that. First of all, because you and I live in this country, we're some of the wealthiest people in the world anyways. But God, there's no curse 
in, in, in being wealthy. I think it's on Fiddler of the Roof. There's a discussion about whether wealth is a curse. And, and Tevia said, well, I, I'd like to be cursed just a little bit. Just, just a little bit of a curse. I mean, let me just see if I can't struggle through with the curse. There's not a curse in wealth. And there's not a curse in poverty. God doesn't even see those things. And we need to move our eyes so that we don't see those things in the same way. Whatever resources that you have, God says use those resources and use those gifts. But I think that sometimes churches are underpowered spiritually because we are looking past some people with spiritual gifts and we're not letting them in relationally. We're not creating space for them. And sometimes we're not allowing them to move into a place where they can live out their gifts and the abilities that God has given them because we've taken a look and said, they don't quite fit the profile. And we miss out on power because there are some shepherds, some grimy shepherds. There's some smelly fishermen. No offense to fishermen and, and shepherds, which is the whole point of the passage. <laughs> but there are people that don't fit the fancy, wealthy privileged thing but they have spiritually profound gifts they have spiritual hearts that are pursuing the things of God and we miss out on it because our reflex says we kind of value folks that look a particular way or behave in a particular way who have had particular kinds of of successes. So, what does this what does this mean for us? What's the application uh, for us th this morning? Well, I hope that you can see this morning that I didn't really add a lot to this text. This this wasn't me. That this is just the plain reading of the Word of God, and I, you know, James. Man, he hits us between the eyes sometimes. And so one of the things that I would just say is, man, have there been some times that you have practiced some favoritism or prejudice? You just kind of looked at somebody and took a guess of what kind of person they were or whether they were the kind of person that you wanted to get up close to or not. Man, just admit that. Acknowledge that. We, we, we call that repentance. And then secondly, to, to say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to draw a line right here. And, and says, as of God's revealing through James chapter 2, I'm not doing that anymore. With his power and with his help and with his reminder when my reflex goes in the wrong direction, I'm not doing that anymore. And then the commitment to make this a church that we may not be famous for anything, but when people walk in these doors, they will know that there's no prejudice, there's no favoritism. They will know that they are loved by God, 
They are called to be a saint. And they were invited to sit right next to me.